Ici le podcast Stack Exchange, émettant de New York. Ici l'épisode numéro 23. Aujourd'hui, nous avons dans le studio David Fullerton. Il est le directeur de la technologie par intérim. Bonjour, David. David, bonjour. Bonjour. Yeah, et passant ses vacances à Elsery de Californie, Jeff Atwood nous joint par Skype. Ils ont une vacation. Yeah, hello, Jeff. Jeff. Oui. Hello. Are you for scuba? Are you guys for scuba? Yes, vacation. Oui. Ok, also with us today, very special guest, James Portnow, is co-creator of Extra Credits on Penny Arcade TV. Et moi, je suis George Polsky, votre animateur. Bonjour. That is all the French I know. That's it. You have used every word. Was that actually that was French? French wow. from my vocabulary. I knew that we never do introductions because we always do the, the, the cold start, hot start, warm start thing. So, uh, <laughs> so I thought I, one day, one day I would. Technically, you talking in French is a hot start. That's right. That is a pretty hot start. And I can do the accent much better than uh, so let's let's talk about our guests. Let's get right to our guests. So let's yeah. talk about the circumstances that actually brought you to our podcast. Uh, we, we are all very excited about this because we're big fans of uh, the show Extra Credits, which is where James is. That's how we know James, although he's done other things in his life. He's at co-creator. Uh, yes, co-creator of the Extra Credit Show. And how long has the Extra Credit Show gone on now? How long has it been a thing, so just, James? Just checking. Are we live? Yes, I think we are. All well, right. you know, we're sort of live. We, we, There's only like live. 200 people watching us, but there will be thousands and thousands of people listening to the recording of this tomorrow. All right, fantastic. I'm glad yeah. the first thing I did was ask if we were live. Yeah. Um, we right. are definitely live. So, um, what was the question? How long has extra credits been a thing? Um, so, really, it's been a thing for a couple of years now. Uh, we started way back when I was working at Activision. Uh, I remember I was sitting there during lunch, checking my email, and I got this email from this kid over uh, at um, Savannah Art and Design, and he was doing a uh, video presentation for his kind of final project about uh, some game design stuff, and he asked me, how you pronounce your name because he wanted to get it right because he'd used one of my articles for a large section of his presentation um oh, cool and so of course i i told him i was like hey I, I would love to see it shoot it my way when you're done um and he did and for years i had been writing for gamma sutra and edge and all these industry facing magazines but i had wanted to expand out because us talking in that closed bubble what has some value uh, has nowhere near the value of opening up the conversation to the consumer. But I never really known how to reach the consumer, especially with some of these higher level design concepts. And as soon as I saw this video, I was like, there it is, that's it. Um, and so he then asked if he could use some more of my articles. I was like, yeah, of course, go ahead, take anything, just run with it, you don't even have to ask. Mm -hmm. And a couple articles down the line, I was like, you know what, how about I just start writing for you? Um, and that was, that was extra credits. That's awesome. And the show is great. It's and Now, it's currently, you guys changed hosts. You're now at Penny Arcade, which is a pretty nice place to be, yes. I think. Yeah, I mean, that's like the number one coolest yeah. gaming place that anybody has ever been to, ever. Yeah. yeah. I thought that, that ended up well for you guys. Like, I think you ended up sort of in a better place than you were. Not, not Nothing's wrong with The Escapist, but, I mean, I think Penny Arcade is pretty synonymous with, you know, I don't know, gaming to me in a way that The Escapist really never was. Penny Arcade does, I mean, Penny Arcade is great, and in a lot of ways they do a lot of really good things. We're big fans of Child's Play, all that sort of thing. And so, yeah, it's been a great place for us to land. Yeah, so go to penny-arcade.com slash PATV slash show slash extra credits. And I actually spent, I I'm actually have that open in my browser, because uh, in preparation for the show, I had actually seen one of your shows, because I'll tell you who's a big fan of your show is our designer, uh, Jin Yang, also another avid gamer. And he had sent me a link to the show you did about uh, the myth of the gun. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, that was a neat show because what it was about was highlighting sort of the, the Japanese viewpoint of what the gun is and then sort of the Western view of what the gun is. And when you think Western view of what the gun is, you think Doom and Quake and all these games. And But but it was really interesting to consider sort of the sociological basis for how the Japanese looked at this was that you know they were the gun, like the, the body, the person is the gun. Whereas mm -hmm. the Western view is the gun is just an object that you pick up that gives you these special powers. That was fascinating to me, and, and you know I, I, I really appreciated that. And that it was a good introduction to sort of the I want to say almost literary way that you guys look at you analyze things. Uh, and, and I really it was it was really deep, much deeper than I expected it to be. I was like, oh, another gaming video thing, you know. I wasn't really expecting much, but it was quite good. And all their shows are, are really quite good and have the same sort of thought process going into them and they're really in interesting um now the one I, 
in preparation for the show, I, I had some quotes I wanted to feed you from some of the episodes. I, I tried to focus on what we do at Stack Exchange, and, and I think the overlap from what you do and what we do is that we're essentially trying to make learning fun. I mean, it's a very, very broad conceptual conceptualization of, of what we're doing. But you take all these sort of expert specialized topics. We create a, a website per topic, like for, for programming, that would be Stack Overflow. And we have these incentive systems in place to encourage people to do things that help others learn and also help themselves learn. Uh, and sort of get us out of this classic forum mindset, which have all these pitfalls that I won't go into, and into a, a more higher signal-to-noise Q&A. So all the, the gamification stuff that we've been doing is really in service of that learning goal. We don't really say it that way, um, but that's kind of what we do. So the shows that I looked at, and, and the last one that I looked at was the one about game addiction, which mm -hmm. I know was very, you know, a, a topic that's, that's very close to you. And I really enjoyed that one, but I want to focus on two two quotes there. One was the idea that you're missing important moments. Like that, there, there's the, when you spend time on Stack Overflow, you're learning. You're learning how to be a better programmer. You're learning how to be a better communicator. That time doesn't really dissipate. You know, as you said, you, you get up from the couch and you've played Halo. And like, what have you really accomplished? Like, what do you have to show for that time that you spent playing Halo? And the answer is really not a lot. But when you get up from a, from a Stack Overflow session, it's like, wow, I learned a few things about programming and I learned sort of how to communicate with my fellow programmers in a way that they can understand um, but there's still an addictive nature to it like we do have people to complain and multiple times actually on meta stack overflow which is our site about the site that they're spending too much time on stack overflow you know they've kind of stopped programming and they're actually playing the stack overflow game for the points and we actually have a cap on the number of points you can get per day called the daily reputation cap. And people give us so much crap about this. They're like, why, do, why is there a cap? And I'm like, look, the cap is there for your protection. Do you understand? Like, we don't want you to spend all your time on Stack Overflow. That's not the point of this, this, this thing that we're doing. Um, and this brings me to the missing the important moments. You're missing the important moments of your career. Like, you should be writing code at your place of employment with the programmers that you work with. That's the point of Stack Overflow. Um, and I, that that really spoke to me was you know you got to really think like gaming is fun but like at the point where like you're missing important things that to me was sort of the, the crux of you know the addiction story that you had was like that's the thing you want to watch out for and it's amazing i don't know if you did you get to see the skinner box episode i did that's on my list i watched that one as well because i was going to say the power of that is um undeniable and even what you guys do in stack exchange i mean i think it's really great that you do actually put that cap there because that's something that we often don't do in games but that's the skinner box wherever you find it um i mean it's the same reason that we find slot machines addictive right even though they're the worst game out there um and so one does have to be cognizant on the other side i mean i think it's great i think the fact that you guys are getting people to uh, voluntarily sort of be teachers and to reach out to the community is a fantastic thing. And I do think that uh, Stack Exchange sort of promotes this broadening of the base of the table to program and understand uh, the way we're going to interface with the future, right? At this point, this basic machine understanding is something that is a core 21st century skill. And you've got a way to take the first steps that are fun, right? Um, and get very deep into it, but I think that's great. Yeah, and just since you brought up the Skinner Box, I actually have in my notes the the, the six things that you brought up that that make sort of so so Skinner Box, the classic Skinner Box, is the pigeon pressing a button to get food, and it, and it gets an intermittent reward. You don't yeah. always press the button and get food because that doesn't actually work very well. <laughs> but what what works brilliantly is like every n times where n is a random number, you get yep. a food pellet for pressing the button. Um, that's the Skinner box, and you outlined six rules or six guidelines that help, you know, do it in an ethical way, where you're creating a Skinner box with the goal of like something positive on the other side of the Skinner box, not just I got a pellet of food for pressing a button, but hey, I learned something, or you know, I taught something to someone else, and that was, and it was interesting because I think a lot of these do apply to what we do on Stack Exchange. Uh, one was mystery; um, you're sort of discovering stuff. And this has always been my classic argument. Like, people complain to us, like, I don't understand why I get these badges. Our achievement system is called badges. And I had to explain to people, it's like, look, this is supposed to be a little mysterious. You're supposed to look at this badge and think, how do I get this? Why do I get this? Why is this here? What is this for? Like, that's part of the mission. And it, 
I feel like a lot of what I do is like resisting the community's impulse to turn this into a very strong Skinner box. <laughs> like they're like, oh no no no, your Skinner box is not good enough. It needs to be even even stronger, right? Uh, that's a good example of that. Like, I'm trying to retain the mystery of, like, gee, the badge is supposed to be something you discover. Like, what, how does this work? Why would, why would we even have this, right? Like, what's the point of this? You're supposed to think about that. It's not supposed to be do this X times and get this reward. Um, uh, mastery was the next item on the list. I think programming is synonymous with this, this idea of trying to master the box, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the universe inside your computer. The concept of mastery is a very, very strong one that goes really deep, particularly with programmers. Uh, mental challenge, I think that also was on your list. That's, I think, synonymous with the mastery. Uh, narrative, I don't know if there's a narrative in programming. <laughs> but the narrative was good because in gaming, there's obviously a story. I don't know what the story would be on Stack Exchange. Well, there's a narrative inherent in community, right? You get a group of people together, you instantly generate a narrative. It's what we call the campfire narrative, right? That it may not be a narrative inherent in the... Uh, activity itself, but rather in the interaction of human beings doing that activity. That's a really good point, because that's one of the big mistakes we made early on. People always ask, like, you know, what's your biggest mistake? And usually it's a, a bullshit question, but in this case, our biggest mistake by far early on when we just had Stack Overflow, we didn't have the Stack Exchange engine as such, was that I denied the need for a site about the site, like a place where people would mm -hmm. go to talk about the site itself. Because I was like, okay, we don't need that. Just stick to the programming. We don't need to discuss the rules of Stack Overflow. We don't need to, you know, have all these pointless discussions. And that just doesn't work. And I think maybe it was people trying to find that narrative, like, why are we here? Like, what is this for? Who are these other people? Uh, why are we all doing this? <laughs> and that's maybe a really good argument for for that's the campfire. Like, Meta is the campfire for Stack Overflow. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the place you go when you, okay, it's not necessarily programming. It's like, did you see that answer that guy wrote? That was really crazy. Or, you know, some other kind of meta commentary that we, we are pretty strict with on the main site. You know, we don't mm. want to mix our chocolate and peanut butter in that, you know, we want really strong content on the main site and keep all the, the campfire stuff sort of, it's kind of like Wikipedia does with their talk pages, although in a much, mm. I think, friendlier way than that. You know, if you just want the information, you go to the Wikipedia page. If you want the politics... <laughs> Of like, why does this page look the way it looks? And who had input into this page? Then you go to the talk page. Uh, and maybe that's a similar narrative story for, for Wikipedia. Uh, novelty. I think that's a great one. Um, always discovering something new. And I think programming is the discovery of everything changing every five years anyway. Uh, so that's sort of in, endemic to the, to the field, I think. And then flow. Uh, flow, I think, is very... The used example of, like, say, rock band. Um, where you're, you're learning these note patterns, and then eventually you're playing the note patterns without... You're not cog conscious that you're processing the note patterns. You're just playing them without, like, you know, it's filtering all the way through your brain to your fingers really, really, really rapidly, and that's flow in a game. But the concept of flow is, is a very common programmer concept as well, that, you know, you, you're writing the code, and you sort of become the code. You know, you're not thinking about it. You're just kind of doing it, and you're not interrupted, like Joel has a great set of articles where he talks about one of the most dangerous things for a programmer is this concept of being interrupted all the time, um, which is how managers work. They're in a state of constant interruption, but for a programmer, that's that's death. You know, that, that completely ruins any flow you would have. And I, I was amazed, all the, almost all the concepts you listed, I thought had a really strong map to what we're trying to do on the Stack Exchange, and in particular with programming, because honestly, you know, we have a techie bent. I mean, if you go to stackexchange.com, you're going to see a lot of sites that are very, very technical. You're not going to see a lot of soft subjects there. Although, um, I actually just saw, you guys are doing a bunch of game sites, yeah? We do have a, a site for gamers, uh, a broad site and, for gamers, and a game developer site, but that would be a technical as well. Uh, well, I mean, I just wanted to, I, I actually was unaware of those sites until relatively recently, and um, I feel like it's a great place we get questions all the time for about how to begin how to step into the realm of game development and so i just kind of wanted to give you guys a shout out and be like hey here's the place oh definitely and you know let me talk a little bit about the striation between okay so there's stack overflow which is a site for programmers and then there's game dev which is a site for game developers and you might ask well why have two sites this is another thing that comes up all the time and to use a gaming metaphor, it's like having alts, right? You play a game, you don't just have one character, you have five characters. And I think people have sort of multifaceted identities. 
Um, it's not like you have your one Facebook page and that's you forever. That's your single point of reference for the entire internet. Uh, I find that having these alts, if you will, um, better reflects the reality. And I think for a game developer, the way we draw the line in the sand is, if you're a game developer, it's a much more holistic thing that you're doing. You have to think about uh, art creation. Uh, you have to think about you know music in a way that you didn't as, you know, if you're writing a database app, what are you going to do with music? <laughs> um, you have to think about just platform delivery, graphics in a way that you didn't before, business, right? Like, what do you, how are you going to get this in the hands of, of gamers, right? That's a much more businessy thing than the average, you know, you know line of business app. Um, to me, it's a, it's, a, it's a very different community. And having a separate site says, look, you have your own community, you know, where you can cover all this stuff. This is all on topic for you. Um, I wish, I wish we could even make it much somewhat more granular right like i mean it's great that you guys have the game development but you're right each of those things is almost its own thing right like your your design questions are going to be radically different than uh your art questions or your programming questions but no it's good i mean i'm i was glad to see that there are more and more spaces from sites i respect going um and allowing both people who have a lot of experience in this field and people who want to get into it because uh, even this last week, right, I was at Austin GDC and one of the things I was talking about at Austin is, uh, because Austin is the writer's conference, how, what it, how you begin in the games field as a writer, right? And all the time I get questions through extra credits about, hey, how do I, how do I get my start in games when I'm, what should I learn at the outset, right? And it's good that there's a place for that. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's it's really specific to the topic. It's not that you want to be a programmer. It's that you want to be a game developer. And that's, you know, a bigger set of activities than just writing code. And again, we are pretty strict about that on Stack Overflow. I mean, you can't ask questions that aren't pretty hardcore programming questions. But on game dev, it's, it's much more relaxed uh, because of the nature of the, the community. Now, another thing that I, that I saw uh, on the episode on easy games mm -hmm. was the focus on the tutorial. And I, lo I love tutorials. Like I, another thing, like just in terms of resisting some of the things the community thinks they want, they tell us like, you know what you guys need is a video tutorial explaining how to do things the Stack Exchange way. Because it is true that the Stack Exchange way is a little bit different than what people are used to. Because A, there are rules. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of resistance to the idea that I can't just type into a box and press enter and have anything I want go up on your site. It's a surprising amount of resistance from certain people. Uh, but like, why are the rules there and what are they for? And I always resisted this because I was like, well, who's going to watch a video about the site? And hearing you talk about, okay, this idea that, you know, a game isn't necessarily easy. It just needs a set of tutorials that sort of ramp you up and give you options to, to do a bunch of different things and solve problems in different ways was this idea that instead of watching a video, you, you step in and, and, and do the stuff on the site. And the site sort of like, guides you through it it's like the first level um you know in the game like in alien versus predator the first thing you do is like you look around it's like can you move the mouse <laughs> can you move forward you know can you pick up something off the ground um really really basic stuff and that was sort of my mentality of like we don't want to have a video explaining how to do this stuff we want the site itself to walk you through as a new user how you actually do these things um, and that's a very gaming-centric uh, way to look at the world, but also, I think, a very powerful way. Like, who really wants to read documentation for anything, ever, right? Wouldn't you rather just do it? <laughs> um, and I, mean, and, and I, I, I wish more products could be gamified and, you know, gamified in that way. I think we are learning um, that this applies across the board. I have seen more and more discussions in the pedagogical space and school space talking about... Uh, the same methodology for approaching learning, right? Rather than uh, front load all of the instruction and this um, reading of documentation, as you so well put it, uh, trying to take granular steps that you can really experience and work through each of these things because we all have found that a person learns more from coming to a conclusion themselves, from doing a thing themselves, than simply from being told it, right? So, I mean, it's good. It does actually expand past just games and tutorials. Right, and that's why, just out of hand, I would kind of, I mean, in a nice way, because, you know, they were offering to create, you know, video tutorials for us. Now, I'm not going to, you know, slight that, that offer, 
but it's kind of going in the wrong direction uh, in, in that that kind of stuff should be built in as a tutorial to the actual website. Um, you know, getting started should be really easy, uh, and it should sort of walk you through what you need to do to get started. And I, I think a lot of a lot of games, like I hadn't really thought about this until I listened to the episode. I do actually judge games partly based on the quality of how how their tutorial. Like the first level is always a tutorial, right? Kind of. It's like how Should good be. is the tutorial? Is it fun? Does it make you feel awesome? Like you use the example of God of War. At the end of God of War, you feel awesome. Like you've killed this Hydra thing. You know, even though it's really a tutorial, but it doesn't say this is a tutorial. You shall now do these simple things. It just says go be awesome, right? In a very constrained way. Um, and then it sort of unlocks things as you go on, and it gets more and more complicated, and you can do more and more things. Um, but the way that's presented really speaks to me, and then I think that's exactly because on on Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange, you unlock abilities as you sort of uh, get reputation. You can do more things on the site, but but as a newbie, you you can't even leave comments. And we get complaints about it. it's like why can't I leave a comment? It's like well, you haven't really earned the right to leave a comment yet because you've got to learn how to ask questions and provide answers before we let you do this meta commentary thing. And I always have to justify that constantly. But that's one of the reasons we're trying to constrain you and say, look, this is the core activity of a Q&A site, is asking questions and providing answers. Until you've shown us that you can do that, we're not going to let you do the meta commentary thing of sort of leaving comments. Um, now, there is a special exception for your own posts because you have to be able to apply to others. But I mean just like random comments on other people's questions and answers. So that's, to me, like a tutorial level. It's like we're constraining your activities to teach you the basics so you don't get you know, overwhelmed by choice, for one thing. And, I mean, it's, it's a remarkable problem. Um, this overwhelming by choice is actually a really interesting thing. I've been digging into it recently um, because we're... Uh, it's something that we encounter a lot in games, right? Because we always talk about meaningful choice in games and the point at which... Um, a person shuts down and puts down an experience because of uh, too much choice. And I'm always a believer in choice, but I was reading an article recently, um, I believe it was about Israeli judges, and it was this fascinating piece. They did this study where uh, they were trying to figure out what helps a person, what helps determine whether or not a person gets bail, right? Parole, and parole. It was worse than that. It was parole committees. Ah, there it is. Yeah. You got it. You got it. You, give it this story. You do it. I, they just discovered that the, based on when the parole hearing was happened during the day, the early in the morning the parole hearing was held, the much, the, the more likely or, the or prisoner. Or after a break, right after yeah. lunch was just as good. Yeah, but it, I mean it was like a ridiculous like ten to one difference between your probability of getting parole based on the time of day that the parole hearing was was held. <laughs> and for everybody out there in podcast land, it's because. Uh, these this parole board had been forced to make very high level decisions over and over again very complicated decisions throughout the day and well i guess that's the, psych that's the psychological theory was that they yeah. were just tired of making so many damn decisions and they started getting getting sloppy and just saying oh never mind you you stay in jail <laughs> well it's not even sloppy right it's safe uh, uh, because okay. nobody gets blamed for not giving parole right but if you give a guy a parole and he flees the country or kills some people or something like that as a parole board you you're sort of responsible for that mm -hmm. right and so instead of taking the uh instead of making a decision they take the safe decision which becomes the default decision right and so we stop making decisions at that point um and so i mean i i agree whether it be overwhelming with choice in just front-loading this mammoth block of options or confronting people with choice after choice that uh, is strenuous. You do have to, like anything else, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, episode on um, the sort of engagement curve, but uh, you do have to modulate that, right? And using systems like gamification is a great way to, uh, to really do that, to modulate your user's experience so they don't uh, throw themselves at these things. Then again, I believe the point of gamification is to get to the point where you don't need the gamification. That at some point people are doing it inherently for the activity itself rather than for the arbitrary reward system behind that activity. Uh, well, this, this, I, well, this came up as yeah. a question, actually. And, and I think to me it's, 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 it's the scaffolding that you build the building around. Mm -hmm. But 
it's just the scaffolding. You can build any kind of building you want around it. And I think after a while, you stop noticing. It's like you just live in the building. You're like, okay, well, this is the building. I don't really care about the scaffolding. I don't need the scaffolding. I just know that it's there. Um, and, you you know, it, it's just an architectural conceit to, to sort of get things done. And I, I think this boils down to the, is the core activity sort of rewarding in, in the mastering sense? Like, are you accomplishing something? Um, and I think in, in the case of the Stack Exchange, I, I think people realize that we're creating these reusable artifacts on the Internet uh, that are useful not just to us, but uh, to other people that will find them. Um, like I do this all the time on Superuser, which is our site for you know computer enthusiasts. Is like I'll have a problem, and I just go out of my way to make sure it's documented on Superuser so that, A, I can find it later, and B, other people can find it. Um, and it's like mm -hmm. little, and, and th you know, Joel, this is the first time I've gotten that Wikipedia sense because Joel, you know, one of our influences is also Wikipedia that you go to some random forum thread, it's from five years ago, and it's impossibly out of date, right? But it has some mm -hmm. nugget of information in it, buried in it that's mildly useful, but like partially wrong historically, is that you, on Stack Exchange site, once you, and actually even as a new user, you can suggest a change that you say, look, this needs to be changed. Here's the way this needs to be updated. And that these are little micro, tiny, tiny units of, of Wikipedia page work that this stuff actually can be updated over time. It isn't just frozen in a, in a tombstone uh, for the rest of time. So, and again, that's, you know, you can suggest it or you can unlock the ability to edit anything uh, if you get enough reputation on the site. Uh, so that's certainly uh, one of the major goals. One of the things I liked about the Easy Games episode was your analogy of Simon as the ultimate, like, skill game. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Like you can't, nobody can beat Simon. You know, Simon mm -hmm. just goes on forever, <laughs> and it's the ultimate example of of skill, right? Like if if all you care about is infinite skill, um, you, if your complaint is that games are too easy, you should be playing Simon. I found that very amusing. I was trying to remember the last time I actually played Simon. Well, if you played Indigo Prophecy, or you played Guitar Hero, or you played most things that. Um, uh, use quick time events uh, you've played simon uh it's That's just, true yeah and they do blend them and I, I guess it's a it's a question of moderation right like i don't mind some quick time events but if the whole game is a quick time event like dragon slayer drove me crazy like i remember wanting to really like that game i was like oh my god this is like a cartoon this is the coolest game i've ever seen as a kid and then I played it, and I was like, this is the stupidest game I have ever played. <laughs> you know, because it's like, all I do is literally memorize the moves. I have no real control over what's happening. It was just totally an illusion, like, in the bad way, right? Like, it mm -hmm. was the Simon game would be Dragon's Lair. Um, and, and even to this day, like, I have an autographed copy of Dragon's Lair. I, I never play it. You know, I, I appreciate its place in the history, but it's like, it's Simon. It's the bad kind of Simon. You know, there's no skill. There's no flexibility. I can't change anything that's going to happen, really. Uh, Here's the flip side, right? The, there's the place where we don't provide choice, right? Like none of your, you don't have any actual choice. You have actions that you take, but actions which are devoid of choice. And games are really all about providing the most meaningful choice without overwhelming with choice. And that is something that they, both Simon and uh, Dragon Slayer just completely fail at. Right. Yeah, that's certainly the, the bad axis of that. It's still, uh, I mean, but come on, Tetris doesn't give you... You have much. so much more control in Tetris. I guess you though. have more control. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah, you, you can. You, the blocks changes the game. I just, I'm yeah. just thinking about this. There's so much, uh, you know, games vary so much in how they provide you with the positive stimulation part of the positive stimulation experience, whether it's by feeling like you're acquiring a skill, or in the case of Tetris, it's sort of like keeping things clean and preventing the invaders from invading, or, or, or oh. from Stack Exchange where it's seeing somebody answering your question or voting up something that you wrote we should talk about ocd like the ability to clean things like mm -hmm. asteroids is an ocd game because all you do is you're cleaning the screen of the asteroids right you're like oh my right. god that feels really good i just clean the screen there's no more asteroids it's all nice and clean it's a nice big black expanse just my ship and here like, they tetris come again like yeah <laughs> tetris is kind of like that too but sure. in a sense like with stack exchange we are cleaning it's like I could go to a web, a web page that I hate yeah. to find the information that I need, or I could go to this. I could go to this nice, clean, cultured place where I can use my OCD to present the information exactly the way I want to. I think you know, the it's unit. Like, imagine if the internet was editable. That's kind of the the vision that I have. Like everywhere I go, I can edit everything. That would be awesome, right? And ideally, delete stuff too. But uh, I'll just ask for editing for now. <laughs> uh, a lot of power. 
Hey, let's ask a question from the audience. Uh, James, have you played uh, One Chance, and what do you think of that kind of choice in a video game? So One Chance to me was fascinating. For anybody out in the... Uh, podcast first that hasn't played one chance uh a it's flash game so you can probably stop listening to us and go check it out um but uh it's got an interesting mechanic insofar as um it essentially leaves a cookie that prevents you from playing the game again so you get exactly one chance to play through this game and make a series of choices um i think the high level concept on it this meta concept of a game that has only one playthrough uh, is sort of fantastic. Um, unfortunately, uh, the actual execution in that particular case, um, I don't was lacking. Uh, I mean, it's it's a good game, but it's it's very limited, and it shows some of the limitations of that design um i've always been interested in a game that is i've always been interested in our ability to now with microtransactions go back to the arcade model and do something where i pay 25 cents or a dollar or something like that to get a singular playthrough that's semi-unique right so you give me a uh, a starting code or something of that nature which we can use as a random seed for some information about my character and his place in this world mm -hmm. and you have a set of dynamic rules for this world that uh i can experience through the lens of this character once and then uh, if i want to play again if i want to play again i can i can play and totally re-roll a different experience a different character um, yeah but uh, one chance is certainly worth the seeing it'll take you like two minutes i think that if if you're into uh sort of the bleeding edge of game design it's certainly an interesting concept <laughs> concept to, uh, it's it sounds like something that comes out of like itp or, or one of those academic programs <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's very similar to that it's um god what was that uh, agrippa that's it uh if any of you guys know the william gibson book agrippa it's same concept i thought mm -hmm. it was fascinating like uh we've done it in literature we've done it in uh in theater and now to be able to do it in games um, Q, uh, here's another question Tom McDonald asks have you ever completed QWOP I don't know what that is QWOP is a running flash game uh, no the, the short answer is <laughs> no I, I have not um, to be totally honest uh, a lot of a lot of games at this point because there are so many games that come out uh, as a designer, it's my job to assess the systems and mechanics in as many as I possibly mm -hmm. can. Mm -hmm. And so I pick up a lot of games and will play numerous games for everything from 10 minutes to two hours to the point where they really expose all their systems and mechanics and then put them down. Right. It's very rare that I actually get to play games all the way through as a player, um, although that is still my recreation when I get to. <laughs> we have one of the things I, I wanted to talk about is there seems to be this sort of a, I guess there's white hat, gray hat, and black hat gamification in, in, to, to some extent. Oh, yes, yes, and I have a lead in. I'll let you continue. Okay. The Monopoly <laughs> game, the Monopoly game at McDonald's. You mentioned oh, yeah, that. Yeah. You, oh yeah. Cover that. And I thought it's that was back really nice on. And it's it's can... evil because take it away. It makes you eat French oh. fries. Yeah, it basically the Monopoly. Well. Besiding the, uh, aside from the fact that the whole thing was rigged for the first several years by the people who were actually doing the gamification, um, <laughs> the reason that the Monopoly game, for anybody who doesn't know um, how the Monopoly game at McDonald's works, uh, you basically get a little Monopoly board, and every time that you buy certain objects, you get uh, a game token, which is either you win certain specific food or other prizes or it's a piece that goes on this board and when you make a monopoly when you get the whole set of any individual group of properties um i'm assuming that you all know monopoly yeah. um that uh then you win certain prizes um the main reason that this is black hat gamification is because um over the years, McDonald's has become very aware that they can use the this Monopoly game 
to drive um, purchasing habits of consumers. And so they only put those pieces on the uh, most profitable items for them. At this point, just uh, soda and French Any, fries. Anything with corn syrup. Uh, it, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anything that's mostly. Um, this, but there's also um, I, I remember uh, hearing a, a talk. I won't I won't name names uh, by somebody who is deeply involved in the Zynga about all the kind of the techniques that are used to kind of drive addiction of the the Farmville type games and and drive certain certain behavior. You know, with a lot of little details like people will go crazy to try to get a million points. So you need a system where you can reach a million points within I think they said four months or something. And, and I was just sort of imagining that, you know, there's a large group of people that are sitting there at the 700,000 point level playing this game just to get to a million. And and this, uh, it sort of reminded me of uh, seeing people play the, the five cent slot machines in, in Winnemucca, mm-hmm. Nevada, not even Las Vegas, right? But like in, in a gas station in Winnemucca. And they have a whole bunch of quarters. And every once in a while, they shove a quarter into the slot machine and like four quarters come out or a bunch of quarters come out. And then they look sad. And and you just realize that their goal in life is to just get rid of the damn quarters. And every time the <laughs> slot machine feeds them more quarters, they know that they got another half hour of shoveling quarters into this damn machine. <laughs> so there's well, something like deeply wrong there. So it's one of the things I talk about a lot when I talk to educators, um, because uh, this is actually a really important piece of gamification. Uh, and I actually did some work at Zynga. Uh, well, I did our company, my Rainmaker Games, mm-hmm. uh, was actually contracted by Zynga to do some narrative work for them at one point. So I can't really talk about the stuff that they do. Um, but the the danger of gamification, and everyone who does gamification realizes this, that uh, we can definitively condition a human being to take uh, act to take specific actions, right? To take what would normally be considered voluntary actions, mm-hmm. um, such as continuing to play a slot machine or continuing to play Farmville. But you can't. A conditioned action isn't an action that anyone is necessarily going to get anything from. Um, if you talk to a lot of the players who play Skinnerbox social games or even some MMOs, after a period of time, they're even aware that they're not having any fun. They're not actually enjoying this experience. They are compelled to continue to do this experience, but a compelled experience isn't an experience that you're going to get anything from. So all the people who say that we can uh, use this Skinner box gamification to gamify education, I think they're missing this major component of how Skinner's research worked um, Mm -hmm. because you can't actually force someone to, you can get them to do an action. You can't get them to get anything from that action. And so in education, of course, the whole point is not to continue to get them to do their action, to continue to write out their math problems or whatever, but rather to learn. Mm-hmm. And that's an action that you cannot do strictly through Skinner box techniques. Yeah. Although actually uh, the Khan Academy is trying. <laughs> uh, so I, Khan Academy is fascinating to me. Yeah. I have some objections to the Khan Academy, not in it specific, and I know this is going to get me into a huge amount of trouble, um, because there are lots of people who are big fans of the Khan Academy, and frankly, I am too, Mm -hmm. but I've seen lots of people when doing, when going to these uh, educational summits, I've met lots of people who in some ways believe the Khan Academy is the future, Mm -hmm. and that um, the Khan Academy can help us drastically reduce the number of teachers we need. And to me, here's the danger, because I I think that the Khan Academy is a wonderful and fantastic supplement um, and a good way to sort of incentivize a person to um, uh, go back and refresh themselves or build up their muscles in these areas. I mean, the, the other day I had to do some calculus and I was like uh, trying to remember and actually went to the Khan Academy. You had to do calculus? <laughs> You might be uh, the first person in the world that has ever said those words to me. Uh, that this this may be. See, this is the this is this is me standing on the designer side of fence, right? Um, <laughs> like I uh, uh, trig, I would understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the danger in the Khan Academy is, I do see a lot of people saying that um, for the American education system. Uh, this is the way to reduce our budget, right? To 
uh, we're not going to have to pay for education because we're just going to have people record a bunch of videos and have these have these gamified websites that people can go into and plug in their information. And to me, I believe this to be completely backwards, right? Yeah. I believe that that's... Uh, it credits us. Khan Academy, that's not what they believe. I mean, they just believe this gives the teacher in the classroom more time to give individual attention to students instead of, you know, repeating, the le- doing the monotonous part of repeating the lectures. That can be done kind of automatically as the homework. And then in the classroom time, students can do their problems with sort of a teacher wandering around looking over their shoulder and providing individual help. I mean, that's their theory. But they've also got this website that uses very, very lightweight game mechanics to kind of encourage you to learn more subjects and to, and to make progress through a curriculum. Uh, and uh, it does appear to be m- motivating people on, on that site. I mean, it does appear to be motivating students to learn more things and to make progress. I don't know if it's the right kind of motivation, though. Well, I mean, overall, I think it's, I think it's good. I mean, it's this whole debate of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, right? And right. really, to learn, you need intrinsic motivation. Um, and if Which you actually had are, intrinsic motivation to learn calculus. You might be you might be the first person, like I say, in the history of the entire world. Yeah, I'm kind of curious what problem you had that calculus was the answer to your problem. I have just uh, never had that happen to me. You you have never had a problem where uh, where yeah. where your calculus has to come up. It's 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 complicated. I actually learned my calculus. My education was very strange, um, and I actually took classics as my bachelor, right? And so we worked through. Uh, I worked through mathematics starting in Euclid and literally worked my way up. So I learned my calculus from the Principia, from the Newton, right? And uh, not as efficient, uh, to me, much more effective in actually teaching it to me, but not as efficient as some of the ways we've we've got to teach it today. Um, Although, on the other hand, it taught me a lot of the background uh, information that really gave me an intrinsic interest in the subject in a way that I had never had it when presented in a textbook in high school. Um, and so I don't... Well, sure, uh, that's the way you're supposed to learn. You're supposed to have problems to which learning something is the answer. I mean, that's how Stack Exchange works. You come to us with a problem. You write up your problem. You tried to solve it, right? You put in the effort. That's something we're trying to get stricter about. Don't just, you know, give me the answer. That's the worst kind of stack exchange question. And then you explain, okay, I tried this, I tried this, I don't understand what's happening, I need to understand, like, how do I solve my problem? Mm-hmm. And then the answer to your problem would have been, hey, learn some calculus, right? And that you're, you should want to do that because you have a problem, right? Capital P problem um, yeah. that you're trying yeah. to solve. Well, that's why. Let, let me go into gamifying, gamifying education. I watched that mm-hmm. episode. And yeah. Joel, I thought this was really interesting. One of the first points he made, which I totally agree with, is the grading system is wrong, like right off the bat, because you mm-hmm. started A plus, and everything you do knocks you down from <laughs> yeah. that. Not which me. is exactly I backwards. I totally flat agree with out this. F. <laughs> right. I don't right. know. And, and and what James was saying, what they should do, and I totally agree with this, is uh, you should start. Everybody starts off at one. Well, we don't start. Any, by the way, James, we don't start people off at zero. That's kind of a scary place to start people. We start people off at one, which is friendlier. Um, nice. And you go up from one, okay? And then every time you do something you're supposed to do, you get points, Joel. And this, Joel has lectured me before about the value of a number that's constantly increasing. Monotonically. Um, yeah, monotonically. And th- this much. is pretty much that argument. It's like every time you do an assignment, every time you finish a report, uh, you, you get points for it. Well, but one there's of more the, subtlety uh, to it than that. Yeah. And it was also like you have to incentivize the class in helping each other, not just getting their own points up, but getting each other's points up. Um, and you had this term, high sense of agency. Can you elaborate on that? I couldn't fully understand what you were getting at with that when so, you said high sense of agency. Agency, like we were talking about earlier, um, it's – so when we were talking about choice, the Tetris came up and someone said, uh, in 12 Tetris, there's not many choices. Uh, this is because of the semantic way we tend to look at the word choice, right? This is why I use agency a lot more. Um, you have a lot of control over – your existence within the universe of Tetris, right? Uh, and so, um, and how you exercise that control is actually through a series of choices, but that's not how we think about choices in our day-to-day life. Um, a high sense of agency is that same idea, the sense of having uh, having control over my own existence, right? And, 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 the, and the world around you as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, and especially I did... I did some semi-formal 
uh, stints teaching in, um, let's say, lower income, not the best areas, um, specifically Oakland. Uh, and th- I encountered a lot of kids there who didn't have a sense of agency. They would shuffle from one day to the next, but didn't even didn't didn't even have the concept of things like long-term planning because they just didn't feel like they they had any control over their existence they didn't feel like they had choice that life was something that happened to them rather than that uh, they pursued life right and what you're describing is is helplessness and 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 that sense of helplessness leads to depression because if you can't influence the world why bother and then you end up being trying not even trying and when you're not even trying even worse things happen to you you get into a kind of vicious cycle of helplessness leading to depression leading to so james i totally agree with that interpretation is that correct james and also like how would games help with that i I was unclear about that so i'll give that just like i think the helplessness point is a really good one because i made the reference to it in terms of the overarching lack of agency in one's life but a lot of times in my encounters with educators they run into this all the time in specific subjects a kid will start at the beginning not get something fall behind a little bit and then feel like they don't have control or the option to catch up and so then sort of put up yeah. their hands and and give up and when once they lose that sense of agency there's there's essentially nothing the teacher can do or at least it becomes a monumentally orders of magnitude more difficult problem to get that student back and able and on track right um and so this is why agency is really important yeah uh, where games can help is games are a time compression system, right? Uh, We have all lived 10,000 different lives uh, in the course of our playing of games. And those lives, uh, each of them has occurred in the space of a few seconds if you're playing Super Meat Boy, or uh, maybe 60 hours if you're playing something like Dragon Age. I've certainly killed that many birds in Angry Birds. There you go. (laughs) Um, But... uh, Games are this great system to show uh, that you can approach a problem and your approach to that problem, your specific choices when facing that thing influence the outcome, right? Because the time between choice, between decision and outcome is so compressed. You get it in usually a matter of minutes or seconds rather than in life where sometimes I can't see the direct correlation between my uh, my choices in the outcome. I mean, programming is another great way to show uh, rapidly the direct impact of what I did and what it what occurred, right? Yeah. This is actually, we have here a paradox, actually, because there's the whole um, Martin Seligman theory of learned helplessness, which I'm a big believer in mm-hmm. that theory, actually, and it says that you start to learn that you have a lack of agency in the world, and that creates that vicious cycle of helplessness, which makes you depressed and unhappy. And um, Martin Seligman originally basically offered a, a proposal or, or a treatment for that, which was to do things in which you exert agency uh, over the world around you. You do things that actually do have an impact, and a, and a game seems like at its best, uh, it would have the ability to, it doesn't have to be a game, it, it could be a game where you literally you win. Uh, or you lose once and then you win or you get a higher and a higher score and you feel like um, you do have the ability kind of to exert agency and to, uh, and to influence the world. And um, that may kind of get you out of the mindset of, of help, helplessness and shuffling around, looking at your shoes and thinking that nothing you, you do ever matters. A, a game could actually get you out of that mode. But then again, there's, you can go kind of too far and become so addicted to the feeling of pleasurable agency in the games that you refuse to face the real world, which is kind of the... Ooh, and let me bring up another great point. This is actually from the gamification one, was that the point you brought up was that, that our entertainment options have become so amazingly good that they have radically outstripped like sort of what's available from work and what's mm-hmm. available from learning. Like the education yeah. system really isn't changing at all, and the work system is changing like yeah. very, very It's slowly. hard to get a job as a sniper these days. There's not that well, many jobs. Well, that's the thing. It's like you involved. get this thrill from these, I mean, yeah. these state-of-the-art entertainment. I mean, yeah. you can go to amusement parks and ride a roller coaster that how many millions of dollars was built in constructing this thing? It's like, how do you replicate that feeling in like work? How do you replicate that feeling at, at school? I, I thought I that was a really interesting way to look at this. I had never thought of it that way. I had I just had a great debate at Austin with a guy um, over this very point. To me, 
that is some of the humanitarian uh, one of the large humanitarian goals of the next century um, I believe that we have this 19th century view that everything of worth has to be bought with toil and strife with suffering right <laughs> um, we bring that into our schooling we bring that into a lot of our vocation um, but that's not a 21st century mindset we have learned enough about entertainment through throwing hundreds of billions of dollars of it with film and television and uh, roller coasters, casinos, all these things. Um, we've learned how to entertain. We've learned how to keep a human being, most importantly, engaged. Um, and we can bring that engagement to a wide swath of topics, right? And, um, and to me, uh, I talk to people all the time who work a job that they do not enjoy and then they come home and they watch some TV and they fall asleep um, because they feel so drained, soul numbed by uh, this eight hours of activity that they feel more crushed by it than a lot of people I know who are working 12, 14 hour days at something that they're really passionate about. Um, and I think that's actually a drain on our society as a whole. Um, and I think that there are, there is a, there's a mammoth project out there to, uh, to remove this suffering and tedium, uh, both physical and mental, from a lot of the activities that uh, are the base activities without which our society can't function, but we currently have as uh, soul-draining jobs, jobs that are built on tedium. That so no what are we supposed to do, to like have a game system for the dishwashers in the, in the restaurant doing the washing pots? Where they well, I, I think, Joel, I and... would characterize it as like when you go to Google, it's like – and remember when we went to Facebook, it was like it was very alive. Like people were there. They were there was the sense of of urgency and that things were happening and that it was kind of hip and happening, right? At Facebook, and at then you Facebook, go to Google, and it's like, well, look, uh, it looks fun, right? Like they have all these cubicles with all this crazy stuff. They have a ball pit. They have like yeah. they're clearly like not afraid to enjoy themselves. And I think Ooh. the worst places you go or where you go there, and it's just like you know Joe versus the volcano with the. Uh, fluorescent lights that are draining your life away you know, in the dim basement. <laughs> like, are you afraid to have fun? Are you afraid to have fun? And I, I've had this experience in my previous jobs where, like, I was always the guy that was trying to bring the fun, like, in. I was like, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to be here at hours a day. I don't care if you guys are having fun. Screw it. I'm going to have fun, right? Like, that was kind of, like, one of my goals. I was that guy at a lot of places. And I think and maybe is... having that come down from the top is even better. I mean, it is threefold, right? Like, it is environmental like you discussed with uh we for not for cost reasons just due to um uh a long-standing tradition we create office environments that are um that are not actually conducive to work especially not creative work um and it was funny i was thinking about the other day there's I was driving down through Austin and someone said the sentence uh, totally unironically, that is either a dorm or a prison um, when discussing what, what a building was. Um, <laughs> right. That, that right there should never occur, right? Um, and then you've got the, uh, this mindset shift where you have this old idea that something can't be good unless I unless I bought it with pain, right? Right. Um, unless yeah, I, it has to be hard. It has to be painful. You can't be having fun, otherwise you're not doing real work. Protestant right? work yes. ethic on which this country was built. Oh, well, yes. and, and I think... You want to have fun? I, go to Greece and lie around the beach and go bankrupt as a country. That's right. Um, that's for lazy... Fun is for lazy people, Joel. That's right. And so I think we have to <laughs> Just move print some it. more money. Um, and then uh, lastly, I mean, I do think that be it gamifying uh I, I personally don't think that there's any topic that you can't create games for i don't think they're the right answer for anything everything but um if it's truly tedious work like i mean dishwashing uh, sure dishwashing or um pot scrubbing uh, my well <laughs> see peeling of hard-boiled eggs i did i did a couple of years of that in the israeli army <laughs> i, I well, did let me go back to the education example because you had a specific example that I thought was really good on education. 
uh, mm -hmm. about the ARG, which is alternate reality games, which to me is a really obscure terminology, and I don't think that's even remotely close to the mainstream, but like the I Love Bees thing, do you know about that, Joel? Like the Halo, I actually kind of hate these things, to be perfectly honest with you, James. Like, I think these are useless wastes of time. Uh, but that struck me as a lot of work. Like, rather than coming up with a lesson plan, Joel, uh -huh. you would come up with sort of a game that was like kids had to sort of figure out like what they were trying to learn about. Um, oh, yeah. And that struck me as really, really hard. But James, then you had another example, which I thought was much, much better, which is let's play the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon game, where I come up with two topics that are like you had monarch butterf butterflies and like the, the Tang Second Dynasty. Kahara. Yeah. Yeah, something, something I can't remember. And students have to find a path from A to B. Yeah. And they can take their own path, right? You've given them agency of like, okay, you can find your own path from monarch butterflies to this, this dynasty. Uh, on Wikipedia, and along the way, you'll probably learn something. And you had brought up this idea of tangential learning, of you know when you play like the the movie Three Hundred, introduced people to history to some degree, right? And granted, it was a movie about history, so it's kind of cheating in, in that sense. But um, it was really fascinating thing, like how can you work in tangential learning? And I thought tangential learning was kind of what you were talking about with you know, hey, students, make me a path from A to B on Wikipedia and explain how you got there. I thought that was a really good example of sort of a low-friction ARG, right? Well, I tend to, like, it sort of reminds me of the what we tell new programmers on any programming team, which is before you ask a question about the code, see if you can figure it out yourself, even if that's really, really inefficient. Because all that time that you think of being inefficient where you're just desperately hacking around the source code trying to find the answer to something that everybody else knows already you're learning a bunch of stuff that you just trip over that doesn't right. solve your problem that moment but will help you learn about the source code for later so you, you, it's kind of the way you're going to learn the code base of any new code project is if you basically just kind of struggle trying to find the answer to the simplest problems that you're having instead of just asking somebody and this concept of accidental learning i think is really powerful and you know, in, in Steve Jobs passing away, one of the many, many recollections he had was uh, about the value of just sort of idle time, where you're sort of just following, you know, wherever your fancy leads you. Like, that's sort of the definition of figuring out what it is that you actually like. Um, and that's something people need to be empowered to do. It can't be just like follow the workbook, work through lessons one through 20. You know, this is your agency thing that you were talking about, I think, James. You know, like letting them have control over some of the things that they're learning, even if it's not really on the lesson plan. If, they're, if it's interesting to them, they're getting something out of it, you know, why not? Isn't we, that uh, what Go ahead. In general, the, uh, we underutilize the power of human curiosity, right? Um, we will self-educate. I, I give this sometimes in talks of, uh, when, when I'm talking especially to young gamers, I'm like, well, a lot of us know hundreds of Pokemon, right? But nobody, those aren't things that anybody taught you. Those aren't things that somebody sat you down in a classroom and gave you a worksheet on. Nobody gave you a lecture on those things or the characters from Star Wars or the people on your favorite baseball team, right? But these are the things that you learn yourself under your own power because you were interested, right? Because you were curious about them. And uh, I'm sure for you guys, You've everybody's encountered this in their life where they highly self-educate about things that you're just curious about, that you're interested, that something that that it touches you in some way, usually because it's not presented in a way that's um, unappealing to you. Right. It's why we do it more with television and sports than we do with mm -hmm. academic subjects. Yeah. And when you said life embraces the gamer mindset and your example was you, you were played a lot of EverQuest. And a lot of the skills that made you good at EverQuest, like figuring things out, like min-maxing, like min-maxing totally applies to the things you do in life. Like a lot of the really, really anal gamers that I know are, are doing really well in life because they're min-maxing their careers. And I mean, to me, right, I, I believe there's a doubt to everything and that if you really follow it, that if you, if you can envision certain things as a life path, uh, they will help you enable the life that you want. Um, to me, where I had put my more than 10,000 hours in was clearly gaming, and uh, I just took the step back and looked at the skills that provided, and uh, I mean, so far in my life, they've, they've been invaluable, right? Um, the, same, the same approach, this, this, and part of it is actually some of the things that games teach on a more abstract level. I, I am the hero in my own story, right? 
um, I there isn't really anything that I default to as unachievable, right? There's nothing that I've said, oh, that's impossible, so I'm not going to try. Um, because games always teach you that, right? Like, ah, you're games young. always teach you can win. Ha! <laughs> uh, when you're my age, you give up on everything right away. <laughs> it does seem more efficient. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to give up on that. Uh, we, we're going kind of kind of long here. Um, so I want to thank uh, James Portnow. He's the co-creator of Extra Credits, if you're just tuning in. That doesn't really happen in a podcast. Everybody listens from the beginning. Nobody's just tuning in. So why would I say that? Anyway, um, the, uh, we, we could find you on Penny Arcade TV. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll have uh, links and stuff on the show notes. You're also James Portnow, P-O-R-T-N-O-W on the Twitter and Extra Credits with a Z also on the, the Twitters. The Twitters. Um, Everybody, seriously, go watch a lot of those extra credits episodes. They're really, really good. Yeah, and really and, and interesting. And stuff. To, to those of you that are listening to this podcast, to our normal podcast audience, um, the the fourteen people that normally listen to this podcast, as opposed to the forty eight million people that will tune in, James, to hear you. Uh, wh- uh, what extra credits is is a bunch of really awesome little videos about basically how games are designed and built and and how they work and and all that kind of behind the scenes stuff uh, about games. Is that a good characterization? Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. And uh, I just want to thank you guys. This has been awesome, and I love Stack Exchange, so this has been fun. Cool, cool. Thanks for being on. Before we go away, actually, is David still here? David, yeah. David, David, yeah. David is sitting in for Jeff while Jeff is on vacation um, doing Zizkuba. Any any news of the Stack Exchange? Because that's what we usually do in the podcast. We give the news of Stack Exchange. Um, any recent rolled-out things we want to tell the people about? Nothing that's gone out yet. The the one of See, the, Jeff is gone for one week, and nobody does any work. Everything wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. We have, a, we have a mascot now. You That's true. That. That's yeah, that on the blog. Excuse me. That was not that is David. the most important thing that we have to mention. <laughs> was hey, excuse me. I, would, I would actually like to point out that our <laughs> thesis was entirely correct. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, no, it's not even worthwhile. Yeah, I, the mascot. It literally like hundreds idea. of people came up to the mascot and posed for pictures with it uh, when they were walking around Comic-Con with it. That's... They're all Stack Exchange users now. All of them. Actually, <laughs> man, woman, and child. No, no, none of them knew what it was. That Some was of them uh, are. that was the point. They're like, "Hey, I want to take a picture with this mascot and then tell me what it is." Yeah, and then, I wasn't involved in this decision, but I want to. I do want to point out that I would have totally supported it had I known this was happening. I would have been uh, totally cool. in favor of it. <laughs> well, cool. now you know. We're sending it to a, a 10k race on Saturday as well oh, to that's promote the fitness. Ten thousand points on Saturday. I love that I joked about this because when we did the, uh, the the information about like supporting community conferences, I joked that oh. And as a condition for us sponsoring you to go on the speaking gig, you have to dress up as the Stack Exchange mod- mascot. I had actually <laughs> joked about that. But now we can make that an actual requirement. Goal. <laughs> that we have one. That can be a requirement. You will have to wear the actual Stack Exchange mascot <laughs> while giving your talk. Imagine how I awesome know. that would be. Our, our in-house mascot, who will remain nameless because it's like in high school and you don't actually get to know who the mascot is, right. is very protective of the mascot costume and does not want anything bad to happen. Yes. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, <laughs> okay. So this has been episode 23 of the Stag Exchange Podcast. Anything at last minute, last minute? Can you end it in French again? No, I told you. I used up every word of French that I know. Um, I, I, I do have uh, one other goodbye. thing. I'll be speaking at ah, oui. Ordev. Ordev in Malmo again in Sweden? Yeah, in Sweden. Yes, yes. Which yes. is apparently the premier developers conference in Europe focused on the it whole is. software development process. Well, at least in, in the Aura region, which is uh, basically Copenhagen and Malmo. Right. When is this? I, it's technically a, it's a keynoting. Con- yeah. So yeah, I keynoted that once. It was freezing. Oh my god, it was so cold. My eyes froze. Uh, but here's what I recommend, Jeff. There's a really cool building in in uh, that you got to see in Malmo. It's like a twisty building. You know what? You just got to see it. It's like a building I, I that's been twisted. It's probably not great. You probably should have someone go with you. I nominate Punyon. Punyon. Yeah. I should probably he should take Punyon with you. Vacation from his Hawaii. Yes, Pardon. make him come back from Hawaii to go to Sweden. <laughs> you with know, you. I had not considered this. I'll have to give this some thought. I had not considered that is the, the punion option possibility. Uh, I'll, I'll go with you. That's that's okay. You don't need plus punion. plus. If something breaks, you can just blame it on him. Um, that's right. No, well, I was just going to go by myself. Or or, or is it Mark going with you, Mark Gravel? Uh, Mark will be there. We're not traveling together. Yeah. Oh, well. uh, he actually will be helping me with one of my sessions, which is very very helpful. Um, so yeah, you'll That'll see. You cool. can see Mark Ravel. You can see me. You'll you get plenty of Stack Exchange type information. So there. yeah, it's easy to fly to Malmo from uh, Malmo or, or Copenhagen. You can just go to Copenhagen Airport because it's the same distance as Copenhagen. Yeah, and uh, Mark's seventh through eleven. Mark's just talk actually. Sounds, sorry, Mark's talk sounds actually really interesting. He's going to be talking about scaling Stack Overflow and and uh, how we handle all that traffic. Actually, oh, so we should send our engineers to that too. 
Yeah. Well, there, David, there's going to be there's going to be two talks like that because I was going to give a talk similar to that. So we're just basically going to do two of those. Mark will do we'll do them together basically. You can one of you can do it in Swedish or or French. Okay. Or British. Or British, yes, British English. That's nice. Uh, All our colors will have a U in them. I, Producer Alex, any announcements we want to make this week? It's really been kind of quiet. We have no. um, things are going kind of quiet this week because we um, have the uh, entire community team will be arriving um, pretty much tonight. They, uh, I think ha- they're not here. Several already. of them are already here. Yeah, the whole community team, which they, these are people that normally work from home at their at their at their farms throughout the Midwest, are going to be arriving in New York City, sort of like an episode of Green Acres, that very special episode oh. of Green Acres, um, for a summit with Chaos. Uh, uh, it's the community the, the, chaos. The summit. only exciting thing I can give is the fact that we now have our own URL shortener. So oh, yeah, s.tk. 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 What should we do with that? We all, gotta... all the obvious ones are in there. So, you know, live chat, live stream, blog, all of the sites have their yeah. own. But there's also some hidden. Can I get s.tk slash Joel? Yeah, just tell me where you want it to go. To my, um, my user page. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just. Which user page? Network, Stack Overflow. <laughs> there's like 27 user pages. Your careers profile. Yeah, yeah let's do the careers profile. Oh, yeah. But there's careers also profile. there's also some hidden Easter eggs in there. So play around with it. See if you can find what the hidden uh, What am I supposed to are. type every dictionary word into yes. this? Think about it. It's all, right, all recurring memes. It's all recurring memes. Oh, oh really? Okay, wait, Although wait. several of them for in, um, are from S. inside the office only. slash blocked at the database level. <laughs> <laughs> Punion. <laughs> nope. S.tk slash Punyon. Okay, that's it. This is the podcast officially over. Goodbye. (laughs) We keep. Bye, everybody.